Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Evan Forster, a licensed clinical social worker. I generally begin episodes with a small anecdote about what's going on for me within my personal life, maybe a highlight of what I'm looking forward to doing with my kids. But I think I'd be remiss not to mention the recent mass shooting that occurred at Michigan State University, my alma mater. I've been working these past weeks to process my frustration, confusion, and grief related to this senseless tragedy. And one thing that keeps coming up for me is this. If something like this podcast can connect one more person who's going through an incredibly tough time to another survivor to learn what has helped them and the nuances within their recovery journeys, then I need to keep making this podcast. Go green. Resiliency Reimagined is a podcast in partnership with the Center for Strength, a resiliency center working with individuals impacted by the shooting which occurred at STEM school in May of 2019. Our podcast explores the resiliency of people and families impacted by trauma and the ways in which helpers can impact these communities. Our guest today is Heather Dearman. Heather is the CEO of the 720 Foundation and has partnered with the Center for Strength on multiple occasions, including being a guest on our panel, Recovery Over Time. Heather, thank you for being here. I'll let you introduce yourself and describe your connection to mass violence. Well, thank you for having me. I am a Aurora, Colorado native, so I was born and raised in Aurora, and I also work for the city of Aurora, and my community was impacted by the tragedy at the Aurora Theater, um, Century 16. Yeah. Um, over 10 years ago, last year was our 10-year mark. Um, but not only was my community affected, my family was deeply um Deeply affected by it because my cousin Ashley was there that night and she was pregnant at the time and with her six-year-old daughter Veronica and sadly um, Ashley was shot and she lost her unborn child and Veronica was also shot but she was killed. Yeah. Um, And Ashley is now a paraplegic and um, in constant recovery and so there's just so much so much um i don't know things that i've seen along the journey in the 10 years sure. not only in my community but my family and just with all these mass shootings going on there's just always something yeah yeah and thank you for being here and, and sharing that and talking a little bit about what has um impacted uh resiliency recovery that kind of thing for for both you and your family as we as we move through this um Today we'll be talking about factors that have both helped Heather and her family in their journey over the last several years. As with all of our guests, Heather, how would you define resiliency and how do you see it play out within your life and those around you? I think for me, resiliency is being resilient and I know that everyone has resiliency in them because we've all had trauma. There's trauma in everyone's life, and resiliency is being able to, despite all of the challenges and the trauma, you get back up again the next day and you try again, and you have you have hope even though you're having challenges and setbacks. And you know, being resilient sometimes it depends on a person's journey and and the moment in which you're asking them about being resilient. Sometimes survivors. Um, kind of resent that because there's always that 
Aurora Strong or Michigan Strong. And like I've heard some survivors say, you know, I don't want to be strong. I'm Absolutely. Hurting. Yeah. And so I can I can completely understand that. But it still doesn't mean that they're not resilient. You know, I think that them identifying that they're hurting and that they're feeling a little bit broken right now. To me, that's resiliency, too, because like they're acknowledging it and not pushing it down and, and ignoring it. Yeah. And I, that's a constant idea that comes up with um, every impacted person, I think, in, in these conversations is that um, acknowledging rather than ignoring the difficulties, the, the triumphs, the symptoms, like everything, acknowledging them has been hugely important for, for a lot of folks as they kind of move through this journey. Mm-hmm. And and I just always, when I thought of the word, when it happened in my community and they were yeah. saying Aurora Strong, for some reason my mind didn't go there that they were trying to make me feel strong. I felt like my community was coming together and they were being strong for me. So whenever I see that um, hashtag of, you know, whichever city it happens to be strong, like to me I more try to imagine it of the city and the people are surrounding the, the survivors and those victims as they're being strong for them and holding them up. Sure. Yeah, I, I, that's a um, yeah, that's a, a good way of looking at that. I think, or a, um, a, a helpful way of, of looking at how I would imagine m- many communities probably feel as they're trying to make sense of the fact that hey, this is something that happened to us. I want to help. I don't know how to help. Um, hashtags. Uh, wristbands, all of that stuff. I, I, I mean, it's not something that, that necessarily creates like lasting change or anything like that, but I do think it, it helps give folks a, I don't know what to do. Here's something that I can do. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember just recently seeing all the different ways that the other schools in Michigan were coming together for MSU and there, mm-hmm. everyone was wearing green yeah. and um, that kind of a thing. It was just... It gave me hope. Like that, that was devastating. Every time another one happens, it breaks my heart. But then I like and I look for that kind of a thing when I'm trying to feel better. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and I think there's a lot of importance to um, if we back up a little bit, um, the idea that resiliency doesn't necessarily mean being strong all the time, being able to overcome everything. Um, it, it can mean being vulnerable, allowing yourself to acknowledge that, hey, this is a really, really difficult thing that I'm going through. Maybe like looking to some ports or some supports around you oh, yeah. or other things like that. Definitely. When, when the shooting happened in 2012 and it happened to my family, I just remember being so broken, wide open and just like screaming and crying. And just I feel like the fact that I was allowing my feelings to come through and expressing them somehow I would be in the right place at the right time where a stranger would come up to me and ask me what was wrong and you know looking back it seemed you know almost ridiculous how forthcoming I was with what had happened and what I was feeling but I noticed that it allowed people to comfort me in a way like sure it was just a connection and and that you just get when you're when you let your feelings out, even if they're sad or hurtful or angry. 
Yeah, and I think it's really important to 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 hear your perspective on that, and then to hear other folks' perspective on um, kind of how they dealt with the the immediate and then uh, long term aftermath in in kind of different ways. Um, and I, I do think that again, going back to that that one thing that just keeps coming up is is whatever that acknowledgement looks like allowing yourself when you're ready to acknowledge those feelings that you're experiencing how, how things have have become different um not expecting a linear path moving forward but a uh um uh that the vulnerability i think that that can come with like acknowledging those those feelings and and all of that kind of thing yeah and i think it's it's so true that first you have to give yourself the grace to know that you kind of are allowed to feel those feelings. So for me, I am part of the ripple effect because I'm yeah. a cousin. I wasn't there and my cousin lost so, so much. And the family that I am a part of, the bigger family, mm-hmm. um, we're a, a Hispanic family. My cousin and I are like, we have 30 cousins. My mom had 13 in her family and you know when it first happened it was kind of like our aunts and stuff were telling us you're not it didn't happen to you yeah you know don't post about it you know don't don't talk about it um i remember there were victims advocates there they were available for us but no one was using them because they were like this isn't for me this is for ashley and so um, a lot of my family still struggles with it and has pushed it down. Yeah. And um, I don't know what it was about me. I think it was that my city, the city of Aurora, came and they put um, therapists in the city building, too, because our employees were affected. And okay. I think seeing that others were allowing themselves to get help about it made me more comfortable doing that, too. Sure. So having access to mental health resources... Um, seeing that other folks were allowing themselves to get help was mm-hmm. helpful. Anything else that was helpful for you to kind of make that shift related to I can try to access these resources? Um, I think being a mom, and I have five children all at different ages, like. Wow. Yeah. Um, my youngest was only a couple years younger than Veronica. Okay. And then I had um, a child in elementary school, one in middle school, one in high school, and one in college. And they all reacted so differently. And I was just seeing them hurting. And I, as a mom and as a helper type personality, just wanted to help them and couldn't understand why um, they weren't seeing all of the help you know, or like even acknowledging that they could get help themselves. So somehow I recognized that if I'm going to help my children, I have to help myself first. Yeah. So part of it was modeling that, like I I want my children to also figure out how to do it. And then modeling, like I I probably need to do this myself too. Yeah, you're right. I was modeling. And like when I was, um, had started helping with the foundation too, like That's when I really started seeing, like when we were trying to build the memorial, like seeing the community come together and all the love that comes from that and all the support. And like one of my daughters kind of resented it and it was hurting me that I couldn't like just look at her and say, do you see what's happening here? There's so much love, there's so much support. And it it was hard for me to see her struggle like that, but 
now she has come out of that. It took, you know, six or seven years, but now she's on the other side. And that's when it really hit me about how people are on different journeys and different paths. And like, I think one of the things I always want to relay to any parent who is going through the same situation is that, you know, don't worry, they'll, they'll come out of it when they're yeah. ready and in their own time and you can't beat yourself up as a mom of like, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I convince her? Um, it's gonna, it'll work out everyone in their own time. It's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that just, again, like going back to kind of one of my initial points, hearing that, hearing that it's takes years for some folks. Um, and it takes a, a shorter period of time for other people. And there's certain things that are helpful for some people and certain things that are, you know, unhelpful. And, um, but, but hearing that, that it's such a unique process for, for everybody as they kind of move through whatever this journey looks like to get to, um, what life looks like after, after something like this, um, I, I hope can be helpful for folks that are listening. Um, so I continue to be impressed with the resiliency of all the communities and all, all the folks that I talk to. How would you describe where you and your family are at now? And you've kind of done a little bit of that. And how has that changed since 2012? Well, in the beginning, like I said, you know, there was a lot of, of shame in the bigger family tree and it kind of trickled down to my immediate family and my kids and, and my husband and, um, you know, like, like I said, I have five kids. One of my daughters that had gone to college right after it happened, she didn't even acknowledge to the people that she went to at this new school in a new state that that had happened to her. And um, it wasn't until the shooting, I think it was at Pulse, where then she really rallied and started um, trying to talk to people and get something together to send to Pulse. And it was interesting to me how um, she gave herself grace to feel upset about Pulse, but not about our own shooting. Yeah. Um, but now she talks about it all the time. Um, and then um, it's like, but my youngest daughter, she was in preschool and these things constantly happen now. And it's interesting to me how kids her age is like, just this is normal. Yeah. It didn't, it doesn't upset her quite as much as it does when um, it upsets us. But um, she definitely, she just told me the other day, she was like, it was interesting to me, mom, when dad said that everything changed after the shooting. And she was like, but that's all I've ever known is life after the shooting. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, Ashley, she has come a long way, too. She went, she started going back to school and and she's doing better now, but she still has our ups and downs. I think about, you know, my bigger family tree of um, how our, that family dynamic changed. It was like when I was younger, we were always getting together for Christmases, the whole huge big family. Sure. And after the shooting, it kind of tore some relationships apart and it didn't seem like we were as close. And so for a long time, that used to be my, my sad story was like, it really tore our family apart and we're not as close. But then 
some of the cousins that were in California that weren't really here during the shooting okay. or like as close to our other family as we were. Um, they put together a Martinez family reunion um, last year. And I went to the reunion and uh, yes, a lot of the Colorado family didn't go, but it made me realize, you know, I've had family all along. Yeah. Like I became closer to these other people and I'm like, I thought I was missing out on family, but here it was all along. Yeah. So there's some, some bright lights that come from that. Absolutely. Um, so you had mentioned um, your daughter giving back, and I know giving back is something that's also very important uh, for you. Can you talk a little bit more about what the 720 Foundation is and um, kind of how your role has developed within that foundation? Yeah, so um, it all started when, so all of our cousins were rallying around Ashley when it happened to her and, you know, wanting to help her and and trying to raise funds for for her and stuff. And after about five years, and the trial was still going on too, so um, after about five years, I asked the city of Aurora if there was going to be a memorial built and they said that they were struggling trying to raise funds. And, um, but I could understand, like I said, the trial's going on. Yeah. Um, but my youngest daughter had the idea of having a lemonade stand to raise money. And um, the community just really rallied around for this lemonade stand. We had it at um, Nick's Garden Center. And um, I had told my, because I work, I work for the city. We hire okay. and promote the police and fire. Um, my cousin Ashley, she sent me a picture of Veronica's graduation kindergarten picture. And um, on the side it said, I want to be a police officer when I grow up. Yeah. And so I had asked the chief if he would make sure that a bunch of police officers came to the lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he did something even better. He um, had a lights and sirens procession to the stand and um, they took an oath for Veronica and made her an honorary police officer that day. And they gave the um, plaque with the badge to my cousin Ashley. And um, I think that day when I saw all of the people at the stand and how much people cared, yeah, I was just like, I need to help, I want, I want to help. I want to continue helping. It felt so good. It felt so good to see that there was more love in the world than hate. And so then I became a part of the board and through, and and our board is made up of family members and victims. Okay. And when we were trying to decide a design for the memorial, I think it it was amazing because first of all, the city of Aurora put management as board members when the tragedy first happened because they knew there would be a memorial but then they invited family members to be on the board and they sat back more like advisors and didn't push us and let us go through our journeys and um if they wouldn't have established the 501c3 for the foundation to be able to raise money you know we wouldn't have been able to do that as family members but um you know we just really thought about what we wanted people to feel when they saw the memorial, sure. not really what it needed to look like. And it, it turned out to be the, the most beautiful 
the most beautiful thing that still keeps giving back. It's not like the memorial is built and now that's the end of it. Like it, it keeps, it keeps love flowing outward. I just don't even know how to explain it. Um, so the thing was, is that once we built the memorial, well, one of the things that we did was we were raising money at different city events for the memorial. And it seemed like when we were at the events, another mass shooting would have happened. And so we started having banners to sign for that community and people would come up to the booth and we'd say will you sign this banner for las vegas or whomever and they would write notes on it and we would tell our stories of how we were connected and then they would tell us their stories of the pain that they've had in their lives yeah and so it was healing on both sides and so once the memorial was built and it was based off of paper cranes um we changed from sending banners with notes on it to having people make paper cranes and write notes of love and support on those. And then um, we, so now we send wreaths of paper cranes to the different communities. And that just has been embraced by so many. And like when the media will do a story on our, you know, wreath, like we had companies call and say, we have volunteer week at our, at our company and we want to do your project that is something that everyone can agree on is that sending notes of love and support and comfort is something that everyone agrees yeah it's something that everybody can get behind something that everybody can can do Mm -hmm. um and so why paper crates um so one of the things we had the four finalist artists do was um the, the City of Aurora's History Museum, they collected everything that was by all the crosses. Every tragedy now has the crosses that go up and then people come and put um, notes and you know flowers and stuff like that. And they had collected everything from everywhere. We got, we got notes from all around the world. We got like banners that people signed. Yeah. Um, and so they had put out some of the memorabilia for the artists to look at. And the artist that we chose, he saw the 1,000 paper cranes that were sent to us by a boy in O'Fallon, Missouri. He sat at a Starbucks and folded paper cranes and um, had the community fold with him and write notes yeah. on them. When the artist saw the paper cranes, he wanted to emulate that. And he sculpted 83 cranes huge cranes um 70 of them represent the injured and then the 13 in the middle represent the ones we lost and we had told the artists that we also wanted to honor the community and um, the first responders and things like that so he had the idea of giving our foundation 83 little canisters and we collected notes from the community and put them into the canisters along with, and one of our board members had this idea, is we printed out and cut out um, some words. And we um, cut out words that were positive that came out of the tragedy, like coming together in community and stuff, but we also printed out negative words, um, the hurt that comes with the tragedy and um, he encased those those canisters in each of the cranes and it was kind of like we felt like the it was carrying that burden for us 
And so when anyone visits the memorial, it's like there's actually souls inside of each of those cranes, and it's the love of the community. And So this tragedy happens, and then a boy in Missouri decides to create paper planes or paper cranes, goes to Starbucks, kind of gets his community around, sends these paper cranes to you guys basically and uh and then that kind of like just starts this whole message and your continued help throughout national tragedies that continue to occur isn't that amazing and and even just the story of the paper crane and like what it meant about hope and one of the things one time I w- we were folding paper cranes in Stanley Marketplace and these two people happened by and they were like, we do paper cranes as a teaching lessons. And they yeah. were telling me that um, like they didn't finish the thousand cranes before she passed away. Because okay. like, like it was supposed to be, if, I think if you fold a thousand cranes, then you're, you know maybe she would survive. But she didn't survive, but yet the community kept folding them until they were finished. And it was kind of like it's more healing for the people that were left behind. Yeah. And so, you know, that message is still the same now. When we are sending paper cranes to others, we're leaving it. We're sending them to the people who are left behind to give them hope and and peace. And so it's just amazing to me that that message from that boy in Missouri has carried on so so much and it still continues to carry on. And we And we feel like... Our memorial, it's just amazing how it just keeps giving back in that way. Did you know we have a paper crane um, little lending library now, too? No. So I had met a Columbine survivor at a round table once, and he wanted to help us in any way he could. I did see that on your website. It has, like, the directions yeah. on how to fold the crane mm-hmm. on it. Okay. And, and like, he built that, and it... He he put his heart and soul into that, and it's a little lending library, and we have it registered and everything. And not only can you um, take a book or leave a book, you can take a paper crane or leave a paper crane. And something else that people might not know about that paper crane piece box that's there is um, one time the museum, they were very, very connected to us and wanted to involve us in everything. and. Some of the memorabilia that was left at the site was getting old, and um, they had to get it out of the warehouse, but they didn't want to destroy it. They thought we would want to look at it first, and we went and looked at it, and we felt like we just can't dump all this stuff in the garbage. You know, this is people's heart and soul that they sent to us. And um, one of the moms on our board, Terry Sullivan, she was like, well, this might sound weird, but what if we had um, had it cremated at a funeral home? And so I, that next day, I like Googled funeral homes, and the first one that I called, the man answered, and I was like, this might sound weird, but we have some stuff that, like, do you cremate anything besides bodies? And he was telling me, you know, some religions do, sure. do stuff like that. And then I started telling him um, what we wanted to do, and he was like, oh my gosh, he was like, I was the funeral director for Alex Sullivan. Wow. And so he did it. He did it for us for free, and we didn't know what we were gonna do with that ashes, the whole, you know, for years. But then once um, we knew we were gonna have a lending library paper cream piece box um, in the garden, we asked the, you know, it had to be there with cement. So we mixed the ashes with the cement, and so it's like 
all that love and support that was given to us back then is holding us up, holding up this paper crane piece box in a different special way. Yeah. And for folks that are listening who might not be familiar with who Alex Sullivan is. He is one of the 13 victims. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So often um, I hear, you know, giving back to to the community is something that was very impactful after um an event like this um you described your um, daughter kind of rallying and uh getting stuff uh together for pulse um all the work that you've done with 720 why do you think that that's impactful for folks there's just something that's like a circle of healing like when you're helping somebody else it comes back tenfold and it and it helps you yeah i mean i think also so besides my daughter that helped with pulse it was my other daughter who was actually close in ashley's age and she was the one struggling and having a hard time and resenting 720 stuff at first okay um but when las vegas happened she was invited to go and to Las Vegas with Katie Medley and Caleb Medley. Caleb Medley was one of the permanently injured. Okay. And they were taking the banner to Las Vegas. And so she went with them and she had told me how she was just at the firehouse, you know, and the administrative assistant was at the desk and um, was talking about how she remembered when it happened at in Las Vegas yeah, and she was hurting and Megan for the first time recognized that someone who wasn't directly impacted or there that night was impacted yeah, and that she was impacted and it was her okay for her to grieve about it. So I think when you give back and you're helping another person, you're acknowledging in yourself that humans are worthy of help and they, they, they need one another, Yeah, I think. And it's like, just, you know, these tragedies keep happening and you feel so hopeless and there's so much mm, controversy about why it's happening. And I feel like the Paper Crane Peace Project gives you something to embrace that is not controversial, it's just love and it's giving back and it's helping. But I I do completely acknowledge and respect and admire those who can go out and be on the um, advocacy side of it, of changing laws and stuff. And like for the longest time, another, that's another way that my journey has changed. In the beginning, I didn't even like to say certain words or think about laws. And now, maybe even in just the past couple of years, I have realized that you have to, it is important that people like me or people who are effective share their voice with the people who can make big changes because a lot of the times it's like everyone's just a number. And the people who haven't been effective make it about a fight of who's right and who's wrong when they should be thinking about the human element of it. And if we don't go and share our stories and our voices, then they can't put a face to the sure. number. And so I think another thing to pull from that too is that um, 
you've kind of decided on that on your own time. It's mm-hmm. taken a minute to do it. And, uh, um, and I would imagine that that process probably is going to look different for, for everybody that was impacted as to what they can do related to advocacy, supporting other people, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting um, that now we have this group of people from around the country who are um, directly affected by mass violence and then always out of that comes an organization um, for that community. But now we're all trying to come together and share our um, thoughts and our stories and ways that we can help when another one happens. And what's that group called? Stop. It's a group called Stop Survivors of Tragedy Outreach Program. And Tuesday's Children has helped us and come in and like kind of like is the program director for it. And uh-huh. we're, we're just starting out brand new, but we have people from Pulse, Sandy Hook, um, the Borderline Tragedy, um, you know, even 9-11 survivors, because there's something similar about mass violence and mass tragedy, you know, even though it might not be mass violence it's like the trauma of it being a group of people that and it's always on the media so we all thought we could come together with some ideas of how to help you know new communities that experience it um and and so i know and over er, i know part of stop is continuing to promote peer-to-peer support why do you think peer-to-peer support can be impactful for survivors yeah, so yeah, so that's one of the things that I really love about our stop group is that we all have experienced it and it's almost like you just automatically feel comfortable that you're they get it. Yeah. And that you're not alone. Um the Rebels Project is one group that started um af- and actually we're so connected in a very deep way because when the theater shooting happened was when yeah. the Columbine group decided to get together and offer peer-to-peer support. Okay. And so it's... And the Columbine group being the Rebels Project. Yeah, the Rebels Project. Yep. They started a peer-to-peer support group online. And um, I'm sure they didn't imagine back then that they would have so many people joining. But it's literally just being able to be open and talk to one another and with no judgment. And um, just feeling like you're not alone. I mean, therapy is important too, and having, you know, the help that you need from a professional. But there's something about somebody who's gone through the same thing that you have that you trust them more. Absolutely. And you like deeply know that they get it. Um, one of the things that I notice and that we talk about in our STOP program is. Like right now, what's going on, which is great and it's helpful, is like there will be like, it's like, what is it, tip sheets that yeah. are that are very, to me, feel very clinical and very, you know, wordy. So like someone who has just experienced um, that and, you know, isn't really going to read through that. Sure. You know what I mean? You so, get this, like you're, you're experiencing this really, really difficult thing. Your world's 
upside down or whatever and then you get a whole sheet of pdf or a pdf with a whole bunch of links on it and it's like too much kind of mm-hmm. okay yeah so we want to figure out a way to fill in that gap like we were talking about how can we when another one happens just let people know we're here yeah and like make it very friendly and um from the heart mm-hmm. um statement that says, hey, we're here when when you're ready, when you need us. And not just go in there right automatically with, do this, do this, do this, and this is the steps, and this is what's gonna happen to you. Because as we've continued <laughs> to highlight, the uh, uh, this process looks pretty different for everybody, and so there is no, like, do this, do this, do this, and right. this is what's gonna happen. So. Right, I wonder if sometimes you see that and you think, crap, if I'm not following that, then, there's something wrong with me. So how do we like, how do we like rephrase it? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's what uh, that's what we're doing um, in this conversation is continuing to to highlight that there isn't a this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Um, yeah. The uh, something that I think can be a little bit more tangible for a lot of folks who um, might have been. Uh, differently impacted by mass violence or or less impacted by mass violence and trauma. Um, Everyone's experienced grief. um, And um, that process has probably looked different inside of you as it's looked differently inside of a family member, as it's looked differently inside of friends. Um, And I think there's a lot of grief that's wrapped up in um, recovery following a mass violence event. But I also think that... uh, um, there's some similarities related to how that process can be so unique for different people. Yeah, I think if I would say anything, the similarity is that everyone just wants to feel like they're loved and that they're worthy and that they belong. And so it's just recognizing that you deserve all that that helps you get through working through it i guess anything else um to highlight related to um stop and uh what kind of some of its goals are or um anything else like that uh well you know we have been talking about which is like a bigger step for me, as I was telling you, um, uh-huh. that we need to be more taking action. Yeah. When um, to prevent things like this from happening in the first place, and I think you know, for me, that all goes back to being kind to one another. Like that's just a basic human thing that everyone can do. Is just. Be kind to every human being you come across if you're walking down the street and make eye contact with someone and just smile. Like for me, that would be a helpful thing for everyone to do is just be kind. (laughs) But, um, and I know that after these things kind of happen and as they continue to happen, there's a lot of, uh, what can I do? How can I um, control it? And one thing mm-hmm. that I think we've highlighted here is is giving back as a way to to try to 
um, feel a little bit more in control. Something, what can I do to, to be helpful to this community? Whether it's folding paper cranes, whether it's um, connecting with other folks who've experienced this. Um, and then... You're right, because there is no control. Like, you really can't control what's happening. Like, yeah. You feel so out of control. Absolutely. And I think <laughs> we're everybody is looking for how, how can I, how can I help? How can I help mm-hmm. feel a little bit more in control? And I think what you just described smiling at a person as you walk down the road, um, like that can be a very, very small thing, um, that, that can impact change. Just like that boy folding that paper crane. I know. Like the ripple effect, you talk about the ripple effect that mass violence has on a community, but the ripple effect of love, just think of that one little ripple that he started and now it grew into something so big. Yeah. I also very much appreciate the crane that you brought me today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anything else that uh, we might have missed um, as we talked through this that you feel like it'd be important to highlight? I I just I would would like to say that our group had a very unique and positive experience of building our memorial like I feel like the fact that the community raised the money for it made it so much so impactful yeah it's interesting to me when I read about the different memorials going up and their process about it it's just like each person's grieving and journey is unique so is each community's way of how sure. that they recognize it it's just very fascinating to me but we're always very honored when like a a community calls us and asks us to like tell them about our experience we feel sure. like it's helpful and you know one of the things is um that we we recognize and we try to tell other communities is that you cannot please everybody there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like what you're doing or thinks it should go a different way yeah but i feel like no matter what it is the impact of positivity that it brings on no matter how it culminates and how it ends up being is way bigger than any of the negative yeah and so for for people that are interested in learning more about the uh, 720 foundation um uh where would they find that you can go to our website at 7-20memorial.org. Okay. And then what about the Rebels Project? The Rebels Project, um, if you look Google the Rebels Project, you can find it on there or on Facebook. Um, they have a Rebels Project public-facing page. And um, then the private community group, you just have to um, put in a, what is it called? What? Like answer a survey yeah, to basically yeah. just how, how you're connected to this, how this you're community. To this. One of the things I'm always seeing on there is like a parent will say, does this include me? Yeah. Or like somebody who like wasn't there, does this include me? Absolutely, yes. It's the, the Rebels Project and, you know, as we believe at the 720 Foundation, like a, a survivor, a survivor, whether you were there or not, if it affected you, you're affected. Yeah. And I that's... That, that goes back to that idea that another idea that we had kind of started out with, you know, can, should I feel things? Should I experience things? Yeah. Because I'm farther away from this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what you've highlighted throughout this conversation is, um, it's really helpful to acknowledge those things that you're experiencing and, and to connect with other people that, that, um, have a similar shared experience. 
Awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you again, Heather, uh, uh, for coming on and, and sharing about STOP and uh, 720 Foundation and, and a little bit about Rebels Project. Um, I'll go ahead and just give an update on some of the activities the Center for Strength has upcoming for the month of March. These include uh, continuing our open art studio. Uh, this is weekly on Wednesdays throughout March. Uh, we even have one on spring break. Uh, Tammy continues to cook some really cool stuff up. Uh, Max Martial Art Group uh, Show Up to Rank Up is happening Mondays after school. If you missed last month's episode, our guest was McLean Figueroa who spoke about resiliency and how martial arts have helped him and his family's recovery from trauma. So check that episode out. Uh, Catherine Shook is our host for Body Keeps the Score Do series, uh, where she'll be given an overview of the IFS uh, therapy modality, uh, and that's on March 23rd from 5 to 6. Uh, basically, she's giving a, um, a brief kind of rundown as how this uh, therapy modality can be impactful um, for folks who've experienced trauma and otherwise. We continue to have our yoga classes at the Center for Strength on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday afternoons. As always, check out our calendar on our website for up-to-date information and activities within the center. Thanks for listening and being with us. Have a great rest of your day and keep an eye out for our next episode, which should come out on the 1st of April. Please pass this podcast along to anyone you might or you believe might benefit from learning more from an impacted person's perspective on recovery after mass violence. If you have any feedback, questions, please ask them on the Center for Strength website, center4strength.org, under the Media and Resiliency Reimagined tab. Go white.